0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of December 16th, 2019. On the show today, news from all around Walt Disney World. And in our main segment, Jim reviews a great new book about Disney legend, Ub Iwerks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who would like to formally apologize for showing up in a trench coat to your baby's gender reveal party. He thought everyone
1: was participating. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm still scrubbing off the blue paint, Len. I, <laughs> I, I don't understand how I misunderstood that. But it, It's
0: a new phenomenon. We're still trying to all get used to the rules. I get it. All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Jeff J., Jay Burnett, and TC Hoff. And longtime subscribers, White Angus, Johnny V., and Tom V.H. True story, Jim. These talented folks are the understudies for all the shows at next month's Disney on Broadway series at Epcot. I'm just saying it's unlikely that Josh Strickland and Ashley Brown both get stuck on the Disney Skyliner, hypothetically speaking, on February 10th and 12th between the hours of 5 and 9 p.m. God forbid. But if they do, it's on to fame and fortune for our subscribers. (laughs) You're
1: going out (laughs) a star, kid.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Onward to glory. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Jim, let's start with Rise of the Resistance. Uh, so it's been about a week mm-hmm. since the ride has opened. A couple of things that have held true. Every single review that I've seen of this ride says it's fantastic, my own included. I called it one of the best Disney rides in decades. The other thing is that the ride continues not to operate uh, all that well. So multiple shutdowns uh, every day on it. Here's what you guys need to know, though, if you're listening. You need to get a boarding group through the My Disney Experience app as soon as you uh, get into the park. Today, the official park opening was 7 a.m. park actually opened at 6.35 a.m., and all of the boarding groups were gone by 7.15 a.m. So within 15 minutes of official opening or about 45 minutes of actual opening, all of the boarding groups are gone. And that's, that's only going to get worse with Christmas, right, Jim?
1: Oh, God, yeah. Nobody's debating that it's a wonderful ride, but when people are getting up, at three and four o'clock in the morning, so they can be at the studios for you know to, to be in line to get in at six thirty. Yeah. This isn't the ideal vacation experience.
0: No, that's what I was thinking. You know the um, the boarding group and, mm-hmm. and the downtime and the popularity of the ride mm-hmm. is having the exact opposite effect that disney wanted when it implemented FastPass pass plus because remember the the motivation for FastPass pass plus was mm-hmm. i've spent 10 grand on my vacation to stay at the grand floridian why the hell do i have to get up at six o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning to go to mm-hmm. magic kingdom to get paper fast passes for the rides i want to ride right mm-hmm. why, why am i spending all this money and still not getting on the best rides mm-hmm. and now we have that situation again so it, it can't last that long i'm i'm interested to see what happens at christmas
1: Christmas to me is you're along the interstate, then there's that car crash that you can't not look at. I can't imagine this. And how long ago was the Disney introduced that new, hey, if you buy you know, a ticket for 12 noon to get into the park, we'll, we'll cut you a break?
0: Oh, the after, uh, after 12 tickets, yeah. They're actually pretty popular. I had friends um, last week who were here mm-hmm. and bought a couple of them, like mm-hmm. a couple days worth of tickets to do that. Yeah. I'm like, you know, my, my kids are teens, they're sleeping until mm. 11 o'clock
1: anyway, mm. why am I buying a full day ticket? You get this bargain on admission, but you also arrive in the park with absolutely no shot whatsoever of getting no, on the ride that everybody's talking about. I just, I'm concerned about what this is going to be like over the Christmas holidays. You've seen Mad Max be on Thunderdome, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. Let's take today, for
0: example, let's, let's assume today is going to be what happens at Christmas, right? So... Park's official opening is 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. It actually opened at 6.35 a.m. All the boarding groups were gone by 7.15, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to be in the park by 7.15 to have a, a chance at a boarding group. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine what the crowds were like that last 15 minutes or what they'll be like for Christmas mm-hmm. in the last 15 minutes before they know it's going to run out? It's going to be, it will be like some, yeah, again, it'll be either you know, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, or it'll be like, you've seen those, those videos of, People trying to get the last helicopter out of Hanoi at the end of the Vietnam War. It's
1: it'll be like that. Two men enter, one man leaves. (laughs) Just sort (laughs) of okay. I'll again just comfortably viewing this from a distance in New Hampshire. I'm going. I'm going. I'm just going to go see what happens. (laughs)
0: We actually have people in the park uh, counting, trying to figure out what kind of hourly ride capacity they're managing to get through wow. Rise of the Resistance. So far, it's it's not been great. And Disney's kind of in a pickle here, right? Mm-hmm. They've, starting next week, or starting this week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Christmas. So the park hours get extended. Mm-hmm. You'll see that they, uh, they actually switched morning extra magic hours to evening extra magic hours, right? So they don't have to open the park extra, extra, extra early again. Mm-hmm. So they've got extended hours for Christmas, right? And they, uh, which limits the amount of time that they can work on the ride. That's going to last till early January. Then they've got the marathon, hmm. and you know people have to. People are coming down for that. Then they've got Martin Luther King Day. Then February they've got Presidents Day and Mardi Gras, and you know March is spring break, and April is Easter. It, plus they, you know, in, on January seventeenth they've got to get Rise open in Disneyland, which means anyone who knows anything on how to finish the ride it goes is headed to California. Oh, plus, plus March what was it March fourth. They've got to open Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway on time and they've committed to that date as well. So, Mm. you know, you've got like what, seventy-five days to get these issues right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. I, I, again, I'll, I'm just going to start, you know, collecting money for for your flowers because again, if you if you're in the crowds dealing with this when this is happening, Len, it's been nice knowing you. Well,
0: the thing is, okay, so like like the the park's official opening is 7 a.m. and they're changing this every day. So again, if you're going, yep. you know, check my Disney experience the night before. And right now, if you if you show up like this week before Christmas, if you show up an hour beforehand, you'll get in a boarding group. Right. So. The park opened at 635. If you got there at 530, you were mm-hmm. fine, right? You got in a boarding group. But Christmas, don't forget, is going to bring larger, more competitive crowds. Okay. And I would say two hours mm-hmm. is the amount of time you should show up in advance there. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see. Any
1: other good news, Len? <laughs>
0: no, that's actually, that's it. Uh, okay. So here, uh, Jim, I, got yeah. to, I do have one piece of news though for you. Mm-hmm. So I was over at the, uh, uh, in the Magic Kingdom this morning, mm-hmm. over at the... Um, the Art of Disney, you know, the, remember the old Main Street Cinema? Yep. Okay. And it's now sort of like a Disney art store.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not for nothing, Jim, but uh, I was in there and the only other people in that store were a bunch of Disney employees with blueprints.
1: Oh, not again. So
0: <laughs> my sense is something's going to look look for that space to be undergoing some sort of renovation in the near future there were a lot of people with a lot of blueprints let's put it that way my okay. guess is this is some sort of other retail space that's going to happen there
1: uh, not really a surprise disney has had kind of resigned itself to the fact that our shopping patterns on main street have in fact changed back in the day they you had your bank on the right you had your photoshop on the right and so on and so forth and now we live in a starbucks world and nobody's going to the magic kingdom To buy art. If they're buying art during their Disney World vacation, most likely they're doing it at Disney Springs. So it's like, why not, you know, use this primo piece of of real estate in the retail corridor of your busiest, most popular theme park for Mm -hmm. something that that people will actually want. I just, I'm fascinated by what is that in 2020?
0: Right, because you you go from the uh, the confectionery mm-hmm. into the cinema and then into the uh, uh, Starbucks. I think there's a store between the two. Mm-hmm. It could be food. Mm-hmm. It could be other retail stuff that you you know that you wouldn't mind carrying around the park. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure what's a uh, what's going in there, and it's a relatively
1: small space too. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I have heard out ahead of the 50th that they are looking to do specialty. Retail items, but that just doesn't seem to be the, the space to do that. Especially, yeah, like, it's, it's it's you know,
0: it's kind, um, it's kind of closed off. Yeah, I'm not hmm, sure. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, speaking of uh, Starbucks, you just mentioned it uh, over at Op- over at Epcot a temporary Starbucks is
1: opening near refreshment port. So our long national nightmare is over. <laughs> I was about to say, yes, <laughs> nobody quite likes to deal with the undercaffeinated, especially in Epcot. So again, th- yeah. th- this is welcome news. So yeah, looking
0: forward to that. Um, still haven't got announcements on where the other things are going, the club mm. cools and whatnot, but, uh, but hopefully soon. Also, um, Jim, have you heard this that the demolition plans for Epcot may have changed slightly? Okay. So you know they're they're demolishing the interventions plaza stuff, the uh the mm-hmm. the old buildings yep. in the in the center of future world. The interesting thing, if you look at the aerial images that uh, that BioReconstruct puts on mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, it looks like they're um they're going to demolish a bit more of one of those buildings, I think, to make more room for the uh, for that uh, for that multi tiered pavilion that's going right by the edge of. World yeah. showcase. I can't tell whether I can't tell whether the um, it's sort of there's that that overhang mm-hmm. on Future World West. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's staying or not. That's the big question.
1: I have heard from a couple of different sources that lake that's off to the side of where the Epcot Experience, the Old Odyssey Restaurant, is located. Yep, that's where the sinkhole, <laughs> the infamous sinkhole is located. And, you know, supposedly, again, they were just in the process of, you know, in addition to the demo, they've been doing some test boardings and things like that. And it's just the whole notion of we have this three-story building, which is going to be, you know, our beautiful centerpiece of... Future celebration or a world celebration sure, communication world something something yeah. something something, yeah. something. Yeah. and it was just the whole notion of you do remember the sinkhole over there right <laughs> exactly there. Yeah. maybe you, you'll <laughs> learn about it soon enough if not <laughs> so maybe this is more about okay we maybe need a little more support for this so maybe a couple out of the structures are going down so
0: I wonder if that's I wonder if they're dumping the um you know like when they had to break up all the concrete and. When they're breaking down the buildings, you know the building that was Club Cool and stuff
1: mm-hmm. like that. I wonder if they're just throwing it in a sinkhole. <laughs> on behalf of uh, environmentality, land. <laughs> <you know>, I, <laughs> exactly. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> what like, would chimney hey. crickets say here? Well, they probably tied him to a cinder block and heaved him into the hole.
0: All right, Jim. We'll see what's going on with that uh, with that uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Epcot, though,
1: have you heard about the new uh, Laheim uh, Holiday Kitchen food oh. booth? You have to understand, I live in the woods of New Hampshire. You know, I make the pilgrimage, and, and these days it's so much harder, especially where I live, to find a good deli, and the notion that Epcot, this might actually get me to go to Epcot, <laughs> during the holidays, during the holidays, body to body. But you know the whole notion of you know, pastrami, actual pastrami inside of Epcot. Oh my god!
0: I thought it was a gimmick, right when I first saw it. It's uh, so it's between Morocco and France. Mm-hmm. So it's I, and I walk through that area a lot because I park in. I generally park at the Boardwalker Beach Club when I go into Epcot. It's just it's just easier, so I mm-hmm. walk by this area a lot. And I thought it was a gimmick, you know, the mm-hmm. first couple times I saw it, but but I was there last week, man, and. Every single thing on that menu is fantastic. So you're right. There's a there's a pastrami on rye mm-hmm. with house made pickles and oh. actual deli mustard, which oh. is amazing. I mean okay. it's 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 like a little slice of New York, mm-hmm. right? But the the uh, it was cold when I was there last week. Mm-hmm. The smoked salmon potato latke is fabulous. Also, you can also get latkes with uh, latkes with uh, sour cream, which oh. is great. Okay. For uh, but but for dessert, mm-hmm. jelly filled donuts and black and white cookies. I mean, it's the quintessential Jewish New York experience in the middle of Florida. It's
1: fantastic. And, and the egg cream, the egg cream. You know that that oh, oh this is I'm, you know I gotta tell you, Len. Since Joan and Ed's did deli up in in Natick, Massachusetts, shut down, it, and then. I don't even want to talk about what went on with the you know the stage or deli and the the others in New York and the fact that oh, yeah? all of these sort of signposts of those of us who who love the deli experience that they, you know they've they disappeared. The fact that this is here is just for me just so exciting. I, I cannot wait to try this stuff out.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the deli experience, so we've we've got a deli around the corner mm-hmm. uh, when uh, it, from my apartment in New York, and when I'm there, Laurel loves to go for lunch, mm-hmm. and normally I get I, I'll get a sandwich like I like I like turkey or you know or pastrami or whatever mm-hmm. they decided to order a hamburger mm-hmm. right and so laurel and I are sitting across from each other at a table and the woman who clearly has owned the the deli for like 70 years mm-hmm. is taking our order or and so laurel <laughs> orders whatever she orders yep and I'm ordering my hamburger and then at the last minute I'm like can I get cheese on that? And the woman looks at me. The woman looks at me. And she looks at Laurel. And Laurel says, no. No, you can't. <laughs> and the woman just kept writing. Oh, like, didn't, oh. didn't say a word. Didn't arch the eyebrows. Just uh. took her eyes off the pad. And The yeah. notepad no, looked at me, looked at Laurel, and it was, it was basically telling Laurel, "Like you handle this idiot, not me. <laughs> <laughs> the schmuck over here." Oh, <laughs> uh, honestly, that, I like, yeah. It, you it's, know what? Never mind. So, so no, no, no bacon on that too. No, <laughs> oh, oh,
1: you're God. killing me. No, that that's, that's why <laughs> she, you go. She looked at me you know. like. Like, give me strength.
0: No. <laughs> I looked at Laurel like, you live with this yeah. on a daily basis? Do this? This is what you chose?
1: <laughs> this is what I love about the daily experience. You have these employees who've worked there for decades. Well, no, you're not having that. No. It's not sort of <laughs> it as No.
0: No. No. <laughs> no, you're not. We <laughs> could, but we're not.
1: <laughs> there we go. So
0: Exactly. So anyway. All right, Jim, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you're going to tell us all about the new book that's come out about Disney Legend works right? Yep. We'll be right back. You have some news on a new book that's out. There's a lot of, uh, of a very good Disney books out lately, right? We, we talked about um, the one on Mark Davis, mm-hmm. which is still a fantastic book and a great Christmas
1: present. Yep. And there's a new one out on Ub works. Why don't you tell us about that? This one, uh, Walt Disney's uh, Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of Works. This This actually uh, debuted on December 10th. It's written by a Son Don Iworks, who who's an actual Disney legend in and of himself. That he was inducted into the company's Hall of Fame back in September two thousand nine for his work on *Captain EO*, which you know seamlessly combines on screen footage with in theater effects, as well as the onboard projection system that makes *Star Tours* possible. And really,
0: so so yeah. uh, modern theater ex- experiences at Disney, and then uh, modern
1: simulators. Yep, if we're going to talk about Don writing a book about his dad. We should talk about a project that Don worked on with his dad. And that's that, you know, that staple of the Disney theme parks, the Circle Vision show. Oh, got, got two new ones coming up, uh, or at least one new one coming up uh, next month, right? We've yeah. we got the, uh, yeah. the Canada Far and Wide, right? Mm-hmm. That one is going to be done in the original, or excuse me, the second Circle Vision format, the nine screen, when, when this format initially de- debuted at the theme parks at In 55, there was an 11-screen version. 11 screens covering
0: 360 degrees. There you go. I know, Jim, that uh, 11 does not divide 360 evenly, so there (laughs) must have been some overlapping screens.
1: Well, yes. In fact, Don and his dad learned the hard—not only that, that (laughs) the ideal way to shoot a movie is not necessarily with the cameras stuck to the roof of a Rambler. Huh. We'll get to that story in a sec. We were supposed to get four brand-new films in 2010 over at Epcot. We were supposed to get Awesome Planet, the update of Circle of Life over at the land. We were also supposed to get the Beauty and Beauty sing-along that's going to be swapping in the little theater there. But we were also supposed to get Wondrous China, which- What's coming, right? Well, <laughs> slow. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I've been told by friends at the company that The tariff battle between the Trump administration and the Chinese government, this was one of the casualties. The sad part of it is, is this was supposed to be the film that debuted the seamless 360 Circle Vision experience. Are we getting seamless in Canada? As I understand it, no. Really? And anybody who's been to the Epcot Experience in the old Odyssey building knows what an amazing you know, I mean, it really steps up the experience to have, you yeah. know, this continuous image.
0: Right. We talked about this on the previous show, that it's it's sort of the demonstration of the seamless 360-degree yep. technology. Mm-hmm. Not for nothing, but uh, during the Rise of the Resistance press event, Disney PR had allocated the Epcot Experience
1: building for like six hours to demonstrate that to the media. So, I mean, they're um, they're particularly proud of it, and rightfully so. No, no, no. I get that. Again, as they should be, but that's the thing. It's just the wondrous China film – was being done not just for Epcot but it was also supposed to go into Shanghai Disneyland and so the fact that you know we're in this political tug of war situation it's not just one theme park that's being screwed up by politics. but Well, not anyway, okay. I, all right, to get back to the Circle Vision story. Okay, so the story starts in the late 1940s, early 1950s, which is when television's on the rise, and ex- most executives in Hollywoods are terrified because this little black box with all of its free entertainment is cutting into movie ticket sales. It totally did. The one man in Hollywood who is not frightened of television is Walt Disney. But that's largely because Walt looked at it, And said, okay, I can work with this. And it's as early as Christmas Day, 1950s. He's doing his first exclusively made for TV uh, special, One Hour in Wonderland, uh, which was Presented on NBC on, on that time when everybody's watching television, land, which is four to five only, o'clock. only three channels. You yeah, know, <laughs> but, but four to five o'clock, you know, it's just sort of like, but I, I guess from Walt's point of view, well, okay, they'll have eaten dinner, they're tired of looking at their relatives, let's put on a TV show. It meets the same formula that the NFL follows on holidays,
0: right? There's <laughs> definitely something playing between four and five o'clock, All right?
1: Okay, so Walt, right off the bat, recognized the potential of television. In fact, that's honestly why... He cut that deal in September of 53 with ABC to do a weekly series. and Whereas the other studios in, in Hollywood, they basically declared war on television. They were like, you know, whatever we need to do to battle the little black box, let's do it. And in fact, they thought the way to go after the little black box was with the biggest possible screen. Right. Provide something that you can't get in your home. That's it, exactly. So September sure. of 52, we get Cinerama debuts. This is literally... Three thirty-five millimeter cameras, or, or excuse me, projectors synced up to create an image that's 143 uh, degrees of, of, of image length. So it, it wow. basically fill, fills your field of vision. It's not 180, it's certainly not 360, but it, it's pretty spectacular for the time. But the problem was from an exhibitor point of view, it's like the only way I could show a movie that's in this format is A, I build a brand new auditorium, you know, build a brand new right. projection booth with three projectors as opposed to one, or I have to take one of my existing auditoriums and retool it for this format and and hope to God that it's not the next 3D, that, you know, something that they only make a couple of movies in and then, you know, right. abandon. And in fact, you know, a lot of the exhibitors were right. You know, the format was debuted in 52. It wasn't till 62 that we saw our first real movies made in in Cinerama, the uh, the Wonderful World of Brothers Scream, and How the West Was Won. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but you and I
0: have talked about the first set of Cinerama films, and the first one was basically This Is Cinerama, right? yeah, it's and it you know a demonstration of the technology.
1: Don Iwerks looks at this, and for example, the famous footage of I want to say it's the. The roller coaster at Coney Island. Roller coaster, yeah, if yeah. Cinorama, yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, this, this is cool. But you know, for Don, it's like, why stop at 143 degrees of, of imagery? Wouldn't it be cooler? Wouldn't it be, you know, uh, far more exciting to do a full 360? And right. so he and his son Don sort of noodle away at this idea. And as you mentioned, they initially come up with this 11 camera rig. And now they turn to Walt and go, hey, we have this idea. And this is January 55. And Walt Disney has just decided after, you know, it's like, okay, tomorrow land, we're not going to have ready till December of 56. You know, we just don't have the money. And it, in January, he changes his mind. It's like, okay, we have to have tomorrow land for, for opening day. And, and that's July 17th, 55. And so they start throwing up the steel for the buildings with no idea of what's going into these things, Len. Don begins his pitch to Walt about, hey, I got this idea. We'll do this this thing with, a, you know, 11 cameras. And, and Walt, good, fine, great. Uh, by the way, <laughs> could you shoot that, like, now? You know, because <laughs> I need something in July. And so it's worth noting this the very first uh, attraction that was shot in this format. And by the way, at that point, it was called Rama rather than Circle Vision because, the American Motor Company was footing the bill now for not only construction of the theater, but also underwriting the cost of the movie. Okay, so Sir Car, C-A-R. There we go. Mama. Okay. <laughs> All right, so it's it's now time to shoot the first movie, you know, that's going to be shown in this theater. And it's called A Tour of the West, though <laughs> if you talk with old Disney-led veterans, the real name of the show should be Anything you can shoot in like a day and a half that's around LA, you know, because we need this thing for July. <laughs> so a tour of the West is basically uh, East Los Angeles out to the desert. No,
0: that, that's exactly. <laughs> that, that. They do things like – technically the West. It's not false advertising.
1: It's the West. They shoot the – for example, the Los Angeles freeways, So they do – the actually, the, the footage that sort of lifted – its idea from the the roller coaster at Coney Island thing is they they put put the rig out on Wilshire Boulevard and under crank so it looks like he was speeding through that stretch of of Los Angeles Beverly Hills yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but to make sure that it actually had some footage outside of L A they sent a camera crew out to the Grand Canyon. And they, uh, Utah's Monument Valley, where yeah,
0: the, sort of the classic Western scenes, right? Anything,
1: anything. Shoot what John Ford would shoot. Yeah, but see, the, <laughs> no, that's the problem. John Ford had the luxury of I just picked pick the prettiest butte, and and whereas Don and Ubb learned the hard way that you know, okay, that looks lovely, but behind us is you know a trailer park. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are yeah, a full oh, decade a away point. from uh, Lady Bird Johnson's Keep a, a Beautiful campaign. And there were billboards everywhere. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because in, in a standard film like John Ford, this is a great point. You only have to worry about what's in front
0: of the camera. But in a Circarama film, oh, yeah. you've got to worry about what's all the way around you. And that's that's much harder to uh to do location setting for. And, wow, and, good point. And Think
1: about this, Lynn. You are you know, you were using magazines that only have 200 feet of film in them at any one time and if when you go okay. to reshoot you have to reload all 11 cameras 11 of them the fact that they got this thing shot they got it back to california they got it edited in fact i'm i'm I, so i'm told the score was by buddy baker so the next time yes you're it in, was all right there we go so they get it open and oddly enough It's one of the only attractions on opening day at Disneyland that does not break down. And it wows people and, you know, just it's a hit right out of the box. So jump ahead to 1958 now. The 1958 World's Fair in Brussels is looming. And, you know, Walt has this technology. Again, they have this film that was shot on a dime as close to L.A. as possible. And it's just sort of like, you know, I would really like us to take another swing at this. But, you know, a larger canvas like, say, the entire United States. So he sends the team out. Sends the team out. They have more time. They have more money. And they shoot America the Beautiful, which is one of the hits of the 1958 World's Fair. So much so. That they bring it back to Disneyland and in March of 1968, it's now in a featured attraction in Tomorrowland with a brand new sponsor, the Bell Telephone System. And yeah. But this is also where Walt gets the idea of, wow, we really do want to do World's Fairs from here on in because we get to make brand new shows for the parks on somebody else's dime. So right. th- this is where the battle plan for the 64 World's Fair comes from. Anyway, jump ahead to 67, we have a brand new Tomorrowland, and we debut a brand new version of the America Beautiful film. Only in this case, we finally switched over from the 11 cameras to the 9 camera version of Circle Vision. Okay. Everyone loves this movie, so much so that when Walt Disney World opens in October of 71, uh, by the time they finally get the Tomorrowland Theater open, which is Thanksgiving, they also are showing America the Beautiful. But Monsanto, who is sponsoring the attraction for at, the, at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, they insist that they get you know whatever guest comments that are made about this three, Circle Vision 360. Sure. And a lot of guests actually swing by City Hall and like, hey, I can't help but notice that's a film from the 60s because the cars are out of date, the clothes are out of right. date. It's, it's 1972 at this point, right? It, yeah. opens, it
0: opens late November of 71. Yeah, They and probably so, start seeing comments in 72.
1: Yeah, and so Monsanto is like, hey, 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 what were you guys going to do about this? And Wed's like, all right, cool, we can handle this. But they decide, all right, let's go bigger. Instead of just shooting in the United States, let's go around the world. And so that's why In March of 1974, we get Magic Carpet Round the World. Ooh, you gotta love Disney guests because what do they do with their brand new film? They go down to City Hall and complain about where did the America Show go? Oh God! (laughs) You know, which you know, in hindsight, 1974 American Bicentennial is looming. It's like yeah. maybe okay. The, I get it. Not okay. the the greatest shot. So uh, you know, Disney takes the heart the the complaints as well as the pressure from Monsanto. They actually send a film crew to Philadelphia, which is doing the very first of the bicentennial activities, and gets footage there, which they then cut into the old America, uh, the beautiful film, and that right. then runs. And, and
0: I've I've shared with you uh, our friend Chris Ham's uh, footage of the behind-the-scenes shooting of this film, right? I, yeah, and it's just... So a friend, friend, friend Chris, who, uh, mm-hmm. who had access to the Monsanto archives, mm-hmm. actually got a, a copy of the Making of film for America the Beautiful, and it includes, like, to your point, they, they, they mounted these nine cameras on the back of a station wagon, especially mm-hmm. customized station wagon, and, and drove it up <laughs> to Independence Hall in Philadelphia, and they, they mounted it on the bottom of a B-25 bomber, and flew it over cities, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was uh whatever really well in Europe. <laughs> but <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, but we have the we, the behind the scenes uh, uh, shooting, and uh, is is really interesting. They also uh, did it around the uh, the St. Louis Arch as well. I believe. The not, the
1: a, a, again, I just I, I'm I'm always impressed at. The efforts these guys put in to get the shots that they get, and as we mentioned, every time they do this, this is the era of film. You know, the Mm -hmm. whole notion of okay, let's fly over the arch one more time, let's pull the rig back into the plane, let's change out all the film magazines. I mean, it's just ridiculously expensive, labor-intensive process.
0: And for some of these things, it's not like you can say, like you can now, oh, we'll we'll fix it in post production, Mm -hmm. right? Oh no, we'll we'll remove that cloud, or we'll you know, we'll we'll fix this. We'll fix this with uh, our computer-generated images in post not in the
1: 70s you were not soaring around the world the number of complaints that you hear from disney theme park fans about where you can tell where it's obviously cg that yeah even in this giant format with this distorted lens there were still things that people like oh that's fake that's not a real element or you know it the- is so i
0: actually looked at this um in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and the question that i got from a from a listener was mm-hmm. Lots of people are complaining about the CG images in sort of around the world, but if you look at the guest satisfaction surveys for it versus the original film, is there any difference? And it turns out there's not. Mm-hmm. So it's a vocal minority of people who, granted, we're, we're theme park fans and we know what it should be, mm-hmm. right? But the general public doesn't seem as bothered by it. It's still
1: a valid complaint, right? I don't know, no, no, it's no, still no, no. But you know, just sometimes Disney does what Disney does, and in fact, to circle back to the circle vision history that we coming up on 1979 and mm. you know, here's Walt Disney world, you know, they've, they've announced that Epcot is a go in October of 78. It will open in October mm. of 82. And here's Ron Miller in California. It's like, look, we're going to have an entire side of this park that's called World Showcase. And we need to get people comfortable with the notion of when they come to Florida, they're going to have an international adventure. So they literally pulled America the Beautiful out of the Circle Vision Theater at Walt Disney World. And they put in a magic carpet around the world. And it plays right up until 84. When Epcot opens, you've got two Circle Vision shows in there. You've got o Canada, and you've got... Wonders of China. Yeah, Yeah. and so you have three international films, you know, Circle Vision presentations in Florida. But this is also, this is 1984. This is Ronald Reagan, It's Morning in America. Oh, yeah, 80 to 84, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and not only that, but 84 is when... The Summer Olympics are going to happen in LA. And so Disney feels like, all right, okay, we need to do something that much more American. And they produce American Journeys, another Circle Vision film, which debuts a week or so before the Summer Olympics debut in LA, and it doesn't open in Florida till, I want to say, September of that same year. And-
0: I don't know if I remember this one. What was different between American Journeys and- original america the beautiful film
1: what they tried to do with this one is Mm -hmm. they wanted it to be more of for lack of a better term a poem you know for example there's there's a famous scene in in this one where you, you it's in vermont you know it's the height of the fall colors and you you roll up to and go through a covered wooden bridge Right. Okay. Remember that part. Yeah. It's more about let's celebrate sort of these classic images of America as opposed to let's fly over the arch. It's less about the engineering skills of America, but the thing that we hold close to our hearts. But at the same time, the Imagineers are like, okay, we are literally at this point. This is 84. And so now it's been 30 years of these Circle Vision Circarama shows that are all travel logs. And they're like, look, guys, we could do so much more with this format. We could actually tell stories. This is at the point where they're developing Euro Disneyland. They know they're going to be doing, rather than a Tomorrowland, they're going to be just doing a Discovery Land that celebrates H.G. Wells, Da Vinci, and Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. And the notion is, well, why don't we use this format to tell, say, the life story of Jules Verne? And that then mutates into the Visionarium presentation, because this is for a European park. They shoot. All over Europe, then. They're shooting at Red Square in Moscow. They're they're under the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. They're at Charles de Gaulle Airport. Uh, the Weinstein Castle in Bavaria. They even put Jules Verne at one point under the seas in the West Indies where they shot 20,000 leagues back in the 50s. Wow. Okay, so Visionary it opens in April of 1992 with the rest of the park. Uh, is mm-hmm. a huge hit, but largely because of the Timekeeper animatronic, which just like- Robin the, Williams. Yeah, yeah. The, the, but just like The Wicked Witches is, is one of the, the next generation, you know, famous for fluid movement and range of expression. Oriental Land ex- executives come to the opening, are so impressed by Visionarium. They're like, that, we want that. For Tokyo Disneyland. Yeah, and so okay. they immediately shut down their Circle Vision 360 theater and- a year and three days later, on April 15th, 1993, their version of Visionarium opens up. So the Walt Disney World version is actually the third line, Uh Opens November of 1994 as part of the the future that never was. And this is finally where people get to see the show with all of the, the Robin Williams and Rhea Perlman goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and look, you and I have talked in the past about why the show didn't connect and you know all of the theories about putting the entrance in the middle of the block and yeah. you know why Disney kept changing the signage and putting up banners and all that. It was one of these situations where Disney eventually just had to sort of, you know embrace the fact, that, okay, so we tried to do a narrative driven circle vision show and it didn't work, which is why think about it. Wonders of China when they finally updated uh, you know, in March 2003. It's just reflections of China. They go back to the travelogue format. Likewise, when O Canada gets updated in 2007, same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you bring in Martin Short, he's an on screen personality. In fact, he's in the Circle Vision thing, but it's still a travelogue. And then finally, when they shut down the Timekeeper, this is where we get Monsters Inc. laugh floor. Right, which is not 360. No, no. In fact, it, but what's kind of interesting is I've come across a making of documentary. In fact, you can look at it on YouTube about Visionarium. And the director in this documentary talks about, well, yeah, we, we, when we were developing the show, we actually talked about whether or not we could put seats in that theater. In the end, it was just, but you know, the thinking was, well, it'll limit the angles we could use, you know, that if if we No one's going
0: to, no one's going to turn all the way around while sitting down. Mm -hmm.
1: One of the reasons that, Circle vision shows aren't as popular as they used to be is the fact that you know if you factor in the uh, the increasing american waistline coupled with the fact that you have to stand up for 17 to 18 minutes and in fact yeah you know, how many times have you been in a circle vision presentation where the cast member is like please do not sit on the lane bars you know just yeah don't 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 sit on the railings don't sit down yeah yeah yeah, yeah just get you know get to your feet so the Imagineering story that's been airing on Disney Plus is actually shot by Leslie Iwerks, who is Ub Iwerks' granddaughter and Don Iwerks' daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, over the the, the course of the show, I think it's the the fourth episode, Hit or Miss, where she talks with the Imagineer, Mark Summers, who Mm -hmm. built Soaring uh, over California, you know, out of an erector set they got as a kid. But he was talking about how, if you really want to be blunt about it, Soaring really is our generation's circle vision. We get that Coney Island roller coaster, uh, Mulholland Drive, you know, Weirschleer Boulevard traffic sensation off of this ride mechanism, which people think that the soaring mechanism is twisting and turning to give you that sensation. And it's like, no, it, it's not moving at all. You're, you're literally lifted up in this space. And then we blow air on your face, and your brain is doing all of the, oh my God, I'm moving. <laughs> It works. Yeah. We've already talked about uh, Soaring Around the World, which was the the follow-up to Soaring Over California. And for a time for Shanghai Disneyland, the show that was in development was Soaring Over Fantasy. So, but with the notion of we go, we sort of split the difference. We do kind of a narrative show. So, for example, you would fly over the Beast castle and swing by the ballroom and be able to look in just as Belle and the Beast are having their their romantic walls, or fly over Agrabah as the genies leading the Prince Ali parade through the streets of that city, or fly over Neverland when Peter Pan and Captain Hook are high up in the rigging of the Jolly Roger having an epic sword fight. But in the end, because Disney's own research showed that folks on the Chinese mainland just don't know the Disney characters as well as we do here in the States. In fact, their knowledge is basically Pixar and Post-Tangled. Those are the characters they wow, know. Very recent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we have uh, January 17th, the first day of this year's International Festival of the Arts of Epcot. We've got our brand new version of the Canada 360 film, Far and Wide. And I have to admit, as a longtime fan of SCTV, I love the fact that they replaced Martin Short with Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, who were, you know, members of the first cast of that show. Yeah, so they're basically going going through the first uh, season of SCTV to get people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a process. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know quite how the folks in Canada are going to feel about the star of Sheets Creek, you know, starring in this, this travelogue. But on the other hand, that film is is you know a CBC production, so look, it's all Canada, it's all good. You can't get more Canadian than that. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm honestly more intrigued by Wondrous China, but I I don't know what to tell people in regard to when that's finally going to show up in Epcot. As I understand it, it's shot, you know, but the, it's it's getting things to clear through customs, it's getting officials to sign off on footage and. Disney finds itself in this this hard place between the Chinese government and the Trump administration and right. doesn't want to anger either. But, you know, they wanted to have this thing up and running in 2020 because it's just the notion of, well, geez, if it goes up in 2021, between Ratatouille and Guardians. It's going to get lost. Yeah, yeah. no. So it's like, you know, they wanted to give this its sort of own special window of time. But look, folks, if you want to experience the, the seamless projection technology head over to the epcot experience i mean it it, it is it's a it's a dazzling presentation and certainly when it finally goes live in the chinese pavilion i bet it will be equally dazzling but going forward it just i'll be intrigued to see if you know further on down the line uh we see canada far and wide embrace this looking forward to uh, to seeing and jim what was the name of uh don iwerks book again this is disney's ultimate inventor the genius of iwerks and so many great stories, you know, both about UB's dealings with Walt himself and all of the wonderful technological breakthroughs that we enjoy in the Disney films because of, of UB's uh, size war. Or for that matter, the bird attacks in Alfred H. Cox, the birds, that that uh-huh. was Ub's work. He came up with the process uh, really. that, that made that possible. But you'll learn more it, about It wasn't that.
0: just throwing a bunch of millet spray on uh, <laughs> on actors? <laughs> that, that's right. Here. Millet just, spray and honey? Yeah, just hold the <laughs> seed bell, okay? You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Mr. Iworks had his methods and I have mine. That's all I'm saying. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to disneydish.bandcamp.com you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, we'll include my review of the new Riviera Resort, which opens on Monday, the day that the show comes out. Don't forget, folks, we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's selling handmade arts and crafts from 6 to 10 p.m. at next weekend's Market in the Alice by Ferguson's downtown on Fremont Street in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. These make great holiday gifts, folks, so head on out there and look for Aaron. In the meantime, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. Virginia, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.